This is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. Masters of Dispute Resolution is designed to provide those involved in the mediation process with the views of the most experienced and accomplished mediators and others experienced in the process. Through our discussions, you will gain insight into how to address and overcome difficult issues and achieve more satisfying results in mediation. Your host is Len Levy, mediator and arbitrator with ADR Services, Inc., a leading alternative dispute resolution provider. Lynn litigated complex cases for more than 30 years and has been a mediator since 1998 and is a member of the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. He has been recognized as a super lawyer in alternative dispute resolution each year since 2014. And now your host, Lynn Levy. Thank you, Daryl. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Masters of Dispute Resolution, a mini-seminar which will add tools to your mediation toolbox. We're brought to you by Lawyer-Specific Insurance Brokerage, Inc., the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals, and ADR Services, Inc. Uh, Today, we are going to be discussing the perspective of a top neutral uh, and retired judge, Michael Marcus, uh, on largely on employment matters. Um, And let me just, by way of introduction, I think uh, an awful lot of my of our listeners are, are, are going to be familiar with, uh, with Judge Marcus. But, um, just by way of background, um, I'm, I'm going to be calling you Michael throughout this, if, if you don't mind. And, and because we've known each other for, oh, 20 years, maybe. <laughs> so, um, he, Michael has, has a well-deserved reputation throughout California as a skilled, personable and forceful mediator, and also a fair and impartial arbitrator, uh, and has been honored by the Daily Journal as a top neutral for six years and as a Southern California super lawyer uh, for uh, 2008 and, I think, continuing. Um, uh, he's mediated over 3,000 matters, uh, perhaps even more by now, and arbitrated more than 100 cases. Uh, he has a very, uh, broad legal background and, uh, in, and also, uh, your, your practice is, is pretty broad, but, um, as a judge and as a successful trial lawyer and former, uh, law firm partner, Judge Marcus has taught evidence and trial tactics at law schools and is a legal author and bar leader, as well as a, an efficient and effective mediator and arbitrator. Uh, welcome to Masters of Dispute Resolution, Judge Marcus. Thank you very much, Glenn. Um, could you do me a favor and give me a copy of that so I can hand it out to people? Uh, I will I will make sure you get a copy. Okay. Um, and, um, Michael, you know, one of the things that um, – that you've been doing for a long time uh, is uh, you've been dealing with uh, mediation of employment cases. Uh, I think uh, perhaps even uh, to a greater degree in your practice um, over the last few years. Uh, to what do you do, uh, attribute that increase? Uh, it's just because employment is the number one filing now in California and there's a lot of it. So I, and there are a lot of, uh, big firms, defense firms that, uh, work with insurance companies. So I think it's the fact of the common, the commonality of the, uh, 
of the claims and the fact that there's a lot of insurance behind it is uh, why I'm seeing a lot of these cases. And, and you've dealt with all types of attorneys uh, on on both the plaintiffs uh, and the defense side. Um, c- could you could you comment on some of the attributes that the most effective attorneys have uh, in in the mediation of employment cases? Uh, and I'm talking employment cases broadly. Employment, just so everyone knows, can include uh, sexual harassment, uh, retaliation, uh, wage and hour, uh, all, all types of cases. Um, so uh, if you could give give us an idea, uh, Michael, of, of what attributes the most effective mediators have, uh, that would be helpful. Mediators or the attorneys? I'm sorry, the attorneys. I misspoke. Okay. I think, first of all, preparation is the number one ingredient. And then secondly, it's writing a good brief and not just a brief that parrots uh, existing law, but really gives me an insight as to what the uh, subtleties and nuances are of this particular claim. And then thinks about what the demand or offers should be. I get uh, a lot of um, numbers thrown at me, and some of them are insulting, and some of them uh, have not been thought out. I got one the other day with an attorney whom I've worked with a fair amount, and I asked the attorney uh, what was the breakdown, and the attorney said to me, uh, the plaintiff's lawyer, that it included attorney's fees and interest, which is just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Because I said to her, well, you haven't won the case. Mm-hmm. So why the heck do you think you're adding entitled to attorney's fees? And what about interest? Because that, too, is uh, only if you've won the case. It's that kind of thing which I think is disruptive to the practice and makes the practice hard. What when when you get those types of uh, demands and and let me kind of back up a little bit the the demands and the breakdowns especially in wage and hour but also in uh, other types of employment cases those generally should be shared with the other side should they not uh, prior to the mediation well yes and no. Uh... Generally, yes, but sometimes no. And don't forget the demand is from the plaintiff's side, the offer is from the defense side. Uh, there might be a demand, but there hasn't been an offer yet. And that's because the defense lawyer has to talk to his, his or her clients and also to the carrier if there is coverage. So what's the, the main thing that's happened in the last uh, 20 one years of this practice is the numbers have gone up tremendously mm-hmm. and I there's been inflation in numbers and which makes it harder to settle the cases because the number offered by the defense or the offer generally remains the same so whereas a demand uh, 15 years ago might have been 100,000 today it's 350 and the offer it's still 5,000 so it's becoming harder to uh, settle the cases and uh, 
that's why the proposals become a a staple of mediation practice. Well, you know, when when you mention insurance, uh, one of the things that uh, at least has been in my experience, you know, trying to get an insurance company to uh, to come to the table with a meaningful offer requires that they have information to run it by whoever the powers that be might be within the company. Um, and, and if plaintiffs expect that, um, shouldn't they be sharing their, the basis for that, uh, that demand? The participation of the carrier has different forms. It would be great if the carrier was represented at the mediation, but often is not. So that's the first uh, problem. And, yes, sometimes the communication or dialogue between the attorney and the carrier is incomplete. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why there's frustration uh, just dealing with the insurance coverage in this process. Have you, have you, could you give us an example of, of what might have happened recently that, um, uh, well, if, if something had been shared earlier, um, perhaps you wouldn't have reached, uh, a, an impasse at, the, at, at a mediation? Well, sometimes the impasse is artificial, Len, mm-hmm. uh, and I'll explain that. But, I had a case yesterday, uh, which was not an employment case. It was a breach of contract, breach of fiduciary duty. And the, uh, what was suggested by both sides was that the carrier not only pay the plaintiff a certain sum of money, but that the carrier also, uh, somehow give some of the money to its client, whether it was going to buy out the policy or what, but it was because the client also had a cross complaint. And so the client was uh, also aggrieved and uh, wanted compensation. So this was a situation where both sides were knowledgeable about the fact that the carrier might have to fund both the uh, plaintiff and its own client. Uh, sometimes without the knowledge of the carrier, but sometimes with the knowledge of the carrier. Well, Michael, thank you. We're we're going to be taking a break right now, and uh, I'm chatting with Michael Marcus, uh, Judge Michael Marcus, about um, matters uh, involving employment, and uh, this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on podclips.io. Uh, and when we return, we will continue our discussion. Masters of Dispute Resolution is sponsored by the National Academy of Distinguished Neutrals. NADN is the premier invitation-only association of civil mediators and arbitrators in the United States with members in every state of the nation. Only experienced ADR professionals who are widely acceptable to local plaintiff and defense firms are invited to join the Academy's roster. The Academy's website, nadn.org, is the most widely visited neutrals database in the world today. With over 40,000 law offices, insurance companies, and corporations visiting our free website annually. Firms can search for neutrals by many criteria, including location, 
case expertise, qualifications, language skills, and most NADN members also publish their available dates, calendars, online, making NADN.org the go-to website for law firms wishing to schedule appointments online with their preferred mediators. For more information, please visit www.nadn.org today. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy, and my guest is Judge Michael Marcus. Um, when we were uh, when we broke, we were talking about uh, uh, insurance and and how complicated that might be. Um, one of the one of the things that uh, I am um, I'm curious about is how does a, an attorney uh, prior to the uh, mediation, uh, make a, uh, a determination as to what, and, and I'm talking about on the plaintiff's side, how do they uh, make a determination as to um, whether their approach is going to be um, uh, one of, of being aggressive or one of being uh, more conciliatory? Is there any any sort of general rule that you might, might impart to anyone? You know, the the thing, Glenn, that I find is that the attorneys uh, approach the case to fit their personalities. And even if they should be conciliatory, whether they're the plaintiff or the defendant, uh, or whether they should be playing hardball, I think that they are consistent within their personalities. So that if they're playing hardball, they're playing hardball regardless of the facts. If they're being conciliatory, that's the way they approach things. So be true to yourself uh, is the is kind of the the mantra there. <laughs> I don't know that that should be true to yourselves. I think people should be uh, adaptable. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was dealing with a lawyer yesterday, and his approach is unreasonableness. Mm-hmm. And, his approach is, as an example, I don't want to talk about the defendant's case because the case is crap. And so if the other side wants to do it, uh, I'm just not going to listen. And that, that is about as hardball as you can get. And right. that's a style. And I don't think it's a good style, and I think it's a uh, uh, frustrating style, but that's the way he approaches things. So I know going in what he's going to be doing, mm-hmm. and I've got to deal with it. Right. Now, that might be particularly difficult when when you're dealing with things like sexual harassment cases, where there are highly emotional, uh, highly emotional cases, and um, there uh, and you're, and what the plaintiff's attorney is trying to do is m- maximize the recovery from the client. Um, how effective is a is a hardball uh, approach, uh, and and are there any detriments uh, in in taking that in in a sexual harassment case, for example? Yes, because there is sexual harassment, and then there's sexual harassment, mm-hmm. and duty is in the eyes of the beholder. However, mm-hmm. and a lot of attorneys, plaintiff attorneys, think every harassment case is not only gold, but is worth a lot of money, and they forget that sexual harassment has standards and elements uh, that have to be established and proven. As an example, the 
harassment has to be severe and pervasive. Mm-hmm. So merely saying to someone, hi, honey, uh, or are you gay or straight, uh, or let's go out on a date and let's have a drink. That is ordinary uh, social flirtation and does not rise to the level of harassment, in my opinion. Now, if it were to go on continuously, where the person continuously asks for a date, that could be pervasive. But the point of the matter is people have to be objective when they're evaluating their cases. And the attorney who has a person who was uh, whose client was forcibly taken into a locked room and attacked, that's a heck of a lot better case than the person whose client was uh, asked out on a date. And the attorney's for the second case, have to be realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do as a mediator to help bring reality into the room? That's a uh, $64 question. Mm-hmm. I think that, well, first of all, I'm a valuative, and uh, I'm not a kumbaya mediator where I hold hands and say, let's all get along. Mm-hmm. I try to talk about the facts. I talk about reality. I talk about what a jury might do. I talk about what a judge might do. I might talk about uh, a motion for summary judgment. I might bring, and I do look at the law beforehand, and I might say, cite cases which stand for a certain proposition. Uh, and as a, at a recent case, I had uh, two employees of a uh, board and care home who saw some pretty bad stuff going on with the uh, patients, and they took pictures of it. And the pictures were rather graphic. And I told the defense that this was a case which had to settle, because all they had to do in the opening statement or opening argument, and then with the first witness, was put the pictures up in front of the jury and probably – on a slide so they could be as big as possible. And the case was over. So I said, this case is not going to be hard to try. The problem you're going to have to the defense was what number are you going to try and keep this within? Because the jury is going to be very angry, very annoyed, and is going to want to write a big check. Uh, that's reality. Uh, and talking about that, uh, in such a way that the people understand the case cannot be tried. And, and, and so what, what you're doing as, uh, with an evaluative approach is to give them a clearer idea of what the risk is of going forward. And from a defense standpoint, um, all right, they, they may say, and, you know, because for example, I've, I've, I've done employment cases as well, but, but, uh, also, for example, in a, in a, um, a child molestation case that I did, you know, what is the number? How, how do you, how do you evaluate translating the, um, the harm into a number? And what input do you give as the mediator to help the parties, the defense side evaluate that? Well, 
Sometimes the lawyer says to me on either side, what do you think the number should be? Mm-hmm. And I say, that's not my job. Mm-hmm. My job is to comment on your numbers or maybe uh, suggest some variance. But mm-hmm. I am not in the beginning both evaluating your case as a mediator and also deciding what the number should be. So you come up with the number. And then when they start with a number that's stratospheric or very, very low, I might comment. But on the other hand, it's part of the process. So I might comment a little and I might not comment at all until it really gets down to the nitty gritty when we start to uh, get smaller movement and maybe no movement whatsoever. And that's when I get really more involved with the numbers. So you're, you're, you, you assume the role of coach, uh, for, for the number as opposed to, um, th- this is the play we are going to run, but, but I'll, I'll coach you on, do you ask the people, where do you want to end up? Well, I also, uh, besides coaching, mm-hmm. I also sometimes suggest methods or, as an example, if the, if the numbers are small and after a couple of, uh, what I call, um, bargain, uh, the ordinary bargaining process, uh, with a solid number, a single number, I might suggest going to a bracket because the bracket, while it's amorphous and, uh, indefinite, does have, uh, sometimes a tendency to bring the people closer together. And then sometimes if the brackets work, but they have stopped working, then I might go back to that. I might also start to use uh, hypotheticals such as, uh, well, what are you really trying to do? Uh, where are you trying to go? What are you trying to achieve? Is there a bottom line? And in the process, uh, whether I'm in person or whether I'm on Zoom, I will generally take the lawyer out of the room and have that kind of discussion where he or she is not there with the client. Um, we're going to take a break now. Uh, we are chatting with uh, Judge Michael Marcus. Uh, we're talking about uh, the mediation of employment cases. Uh, this is Len Levy, and we're on Masters of Dispute Resolution uh, on podclips.io. Most attorneys need professional liability coverage, but very few are professional liability experts. And there's so many options when it comes to legal malpractice insurance. How do you know how much coverage you need? What should your policy limits be? What if you've had a past claim? You shouldn't have to take time away from helping your clients to research professional liability coverage. And with lawyer-specific insurance brokerage on your side, you won't have to. They're professional liability experts. Shop California's leading professional liability carriers to find your firm the right coverage at the right price. Lawyer-specific founders Alan Debbie Hernandez have over 50 years combined experience working with the highest-rated providers of lawyers' professional liability insurance. So trust the brokerage with access to over 40 carriers in California and find a cost-effective malpractice insurance solution for your firm. Go to LawyerSpecific.com and click Request a Quote. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution. I'm Len Levy. My guest is Judge Michael Marcus. And uh, when we when we broke, we were talking about brackets. And um, one of the things about, about brackets, and, and Michael, perhaps explain, the, the pros and the cons of using brackets, what people have to keep in mind when they're doing that. The pros are the opportunity to get the people closer together because you're talking about abstracts. 
instead of about definite numbers. In the marketplace bargaining, you're talking about, well, I'll give you 10,000 and the demand is uh, 150,000. The bracket is more amorphous and uh, indefinite, which is part of the problem. Uh, but what they do do, if we have a sophisticated uh, attorney, is they start to signal to a certain extent what the party is looking for by picking the midpoint between the high and the low number. It could be uh, a deceiving number. It's probably not the true number, but at least it's a number. Uh, brackets also, uh, not only with the midpoint of I'll go to 50 if you'll go to 200, and that's a, a midpoint of 100, uh, people take a look at the midpoint between their bracket and the midpoint of the other party's bracket, and then they come up with the midpoint between the two midpoints. Right. The problem is with the bracket is when you go back to the marketplace bargaining, is where do you start with? And some people start outside of their bracket, which is, I think, a no-no, and uh, it kind of uh, hurts the progress you've made. Um, and so that's a problem, too, and that's where you the coaching should be uh, more intense or more obvious as to uh, where to go and uh, what number to use or, or how to use it. But brackets do provide the opportunity to move the goalposts closer together. Right. And, you know, the the whole idea, of course, that is to is to come up with uh, a solution that's going to be acceptable to everyone. But sometimes you get to a point where, you know, it doesn't look like this, that either side is moving very much or at all. Um uh, and I think you gave a talk uh, that I listened to about mediators' proposals um, and uh, the use of mediators' proposals. Uh, how effective are mediators' proposals when you're dealing with a sexual harassment case that may have an emotional element? How do you how do you handle that? Well. The mediator's proposal, when I first started doing this 20, 21 years ago, was rare. I tell people that in the first year I was mediating, I maybe did two proposals the entire year. So now I probably do proposals in 80 to 90 percent of my cases. And the reason is, there's two reasons for this. One is because the numbers have become higher uh, in terms of the demand. And the second is because the lawyer is now used to proposals and is thinking that they would be helpful or necessary to settle his or her case. They've become an accepted part of the practice. Now, when you are doing a a mediator's proposal, when you're preparing it, you're not figuring out what the case is put in quotes worth. What you're trying to do is you're trying to assess what is likely to be accepted by both sides. Correct? No, I think when I start, I, I kind of unconsciously come up with what I think the plaintiff is looking for and the defendant is looking for. 
the plaintiff may be looking for, and they sometimes they say to me, very obviously, this is a six-figure case, or this is a case we're going to have to uh, be above two or three or whatever. Whereas the defendant is saying, this is a five-figure case, and it's only a mid-five, it's not a high-five. A lot of that is to try and get into my head and, and get me to accept it. I understand that. But I also know from experience uh, what a case is worth, at least in generalities. So I might say to myself, well, this is a high five case. It's a mid five case. It's a six figure case. Um, And then as we progress after two or three moves, I have a pretty good idea if it's going to be a stalemate uh, requiring a proposal. But I don't push the stalemate right away because it's too early and the people have to go through the step. But eventually, when one side says, I'm not moving anymore, and the other, or the other side says that, or we're running out of time, or all three, then, uh, I'll say, what about a proposal? And at that point, about 95% of the time, the attorneys agree. Very good. Very good. So, so your idea is, is, uh, is, is based on just how you, th- you're, how you are surveying the landscape, so to speak, seeing, um, what, what people are likely to, uh, to accept it. Cause obviously if, if they're accepting 90% of, of, of your proposals, that's, uh, that's a good track record. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I'd like you to comment on, and you, because you made a, you, you stated um, you don't want to do it too early. Um, the effect of doing it too early might be what? The whole thing falls apart and people go home. Um, that's that's a very possible uh, reaction. I've had few cases, and I think everyone has had where the people start and one person says, I don't, I didn't want to be here. My client didn't want to be here. Uh, and I am, uh, whatever against this. And the other side says, I haven't talked to the insurance carrier. Uh, we're not sure if there's coverage. Um, we haven't engaged in discovery. I really don't know what the other person's case is all about. So we have, Unprepared people, unaware and unknowledgeable about the other person's case, and we don't even know what the money situation is. And that could lead to a very early uh, going home. Right. And, and if, if you, in that kind of situation, if, if you um, do a mediator's proposal just so that to avoid that, it could set a, a ceiling or a floor on future negotiations. Yes, uh, it could. There's one way to handle it. Mm-hmm. Um, which I have done, and it has uh, some success. If I have people who don't really know whether there is coverage and the carrier has been absent or silent, I could do a proposal uh, and keep it open for a week or two weeks, mm-hmm. which allows the defendant to talk to the carrier or talk to the uh, owners and the partners about uh, the value of the settlement. So that's one way to handle that situation. Right. Um, We are going to take a break right now, and we will be back uh, chatting with 
Judge Michael Marcus on employment matters. We've talked about uh, a variety of things, and we will we will be getting into a few more areas that will be helpful when we return. Masters of Dispute Resolution would like to thank ADR Services Incorporated, your partner in resolution, and its founder, Lucy Barron, for supporting this podcast. ADR Services is one of the leading providers of alternative dispute resolution in California. Leveraging technology to drive resolution, ADR Services is committed to dynamism in the face of growing client need and an ever-evolving legal climate. Now operating offices in all major legal markets of California, ADR Services provides unparalleled in-person and remote resolution services through its exclusive panel comprised of more than 130 of the most distinguished and talented neutrals across the state, capable of handling challenging and complex mediations, arbitration, and other procedures in every field of law. When you seek the services of a neutral and you want results and satisfied clients, contact ADR Services, www.adrservices.com. Welcome back to Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips. I'm Len Levy, and we are talking with Judge Michael Marcus about employment cases. Uh, we've gone through uh, a lot about negotiation and uh, mediator proposals. Um, one of the things I, uh, I I know are not used very often in California uh, at all, um, I very rarely use them myself, uh, although I will tell you I did have an, an actual in-person during the pandemic employment case where I had a joint session, but it was not the traditional kind. It was the the employer and employee had been friends, and the only way that was going to settle if there was a little face to face. Has have you, uh, Michael? Have you have you used joint sessions to any great degree in in your practice? No, but I think there's two types of joint sessions. Mm-hmm. There's the joint session only with the attorneys. Mm-hmm. And then there's the joint session with the attorneys and the clients. Mm-hmm. I have used more of the first than the second, mm-hmm. where uh, I want the attorneys perhaps to talk about a problem which can uh, only be worked out if they were together. But I, I don't do that, Len, uh, on Zoom without warning the people, although – you know, we can move people around without their consent or knowledge. Right. Uh, I don't think it's a good tactic to do it and, and foist it on, on someone without uh, telling them we're going to do it. And they might say, no, I don't want to be with the other side. But I will do the attorney one. I, I did the attorney one. And there's this two, different, two different types of attorney ones. There's the attorney with the opposing parties, and then there's the attorney of uh, – who are on the same side but in separate rooms, and for 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 different reasons they're in separate rooms. But I play it by ear. It's all by ear, and what makes sense to me under the circumstances. And what are, what are some of those circumstances that you might say uh, say to a party? Look, I need to talk to your attorney um, and and with the other attorney, and and uh, um, uh, avoid them getting ticked off about, wait a minute, why am I being excluded? Now, are you asking me about just talking to the attorney or talking? Correct. Both attorneys, yeah. Well, I say to the client, you know, if we were live, uh, it would be common for me and not infrequent for me to say, to open up the door and say, hey, listen, uh, 
uh, Barbara or Steve, can, let's talk for a second. And, uh, but I have to do that now here. If I were to talk to two attorneys from opposing sides, I'd ask each if I can do it. And the reaction I get is sometimes, sure, why not? And sometimes I get a very much, no, I don't want to. And a lot of that is personal because the attorney has had a bad relationship with the other side. Um, but sometimes uh, we may want to talk about discovery issues. Sometimes we may want to talk about even uh, getting close to settlement, where some of the settlement terms could be or, or should be. So it really depends upon the, the status of the case and where in the case uh, the, the situation is arising and whether or not I think two heads are better than one. Yeah. How do you handle the situation where you see an attorney and the client seemingly being at odds with each other? You know, the one thing that Zoom has, which is not productive or helpful, is the attorney and the client often not being in the same room. So this is a relationship. Maybe it's a distant relationship. Uh, it's a lot better if they're in the same room and they can uh, uh, talk to each other easily. What do I do if I see if I if I see an attorney who is not talking a lot with his client or her client? Um, I have to say to myself whether that's important. How much is uh, control does the attorney have? If I think the attorney has a lot of client control and the client uh, herself or himself is very passive and easily led, then I'm not going to do anything because I figure the attorney is going to be able to uh, decide whether or not to settle the case. Mm-hmm. If I think the attorney uh, doesn't have control, I think I'll spend more time talking to the client. I'll talk to the client about the facts. I'll talk to the client. I'll try and get inside the head of the client. I want to know about the client, what makes his client think and tick, and uh, um, and also like me. Uh, how, how important is is that that the client uh, that you relate to the client and and, and very important, very 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 important. Uh, sometimes in the beginning of a mediation, I'll get uh, I'll ask the client questions: Where are you from? What's your business about? Uh, we might even, I will never talk about politics. I might talk about sports. I might talk about music. I might talk about geography. Uh, anything in which I think the client is interested in wants to talk, but I will avoid politics like the plague. Right. Well, in, in this day and age, I think that's, uh, that's even wiser than it has been in the past. So, uh, <laughs> but, uh, what, one, one of the things that, um, uh, that we start to get into uh, is where where you realize, you may realize, you know something, there may be the wrong person in the room. What I mean by that is there may be somebody there with the client that's feeding them a lot of hooey, uh, or there may be somebody who needs to be in the room that the client, uh, you know, the well, uh, you get to the end of the, the, the mediation and the client said, well, I've got to run this by my husband and he's not there. Or I've got to run this by my wife and she's not there. Um, uh, how, how do you make sure that the right people are in the room? Well, I can't do that. The lawyer can. Uh, 
Um, you said something, Len, about a pre-mediation phone call. That's something that can be resolved in that phone call ahead of time. But I don't do pre-mediation phone calls, and I'm just uh, of the the mind and the experience that uh, the right person is in the room most of the time. As far as wage and hour cases, um, you're, when you handle wage and hour cases, uh, is there a – a, a different approach that you take uh, to that than uh, with a uh, with a, a sexual harassment case or a discrimination case or something along those lines. Yes, uh, the wage and hour case is drier, has less emotion, and it's not covered by an insurance claim. Uh, also, we have policies, uh, generally compliant policies, written policies, which are very helpful, and we also have the uh, uh, business records, whether they're time cards or time sheets or things of that nature. And I generally approach these very much like an accountant, I guess, and say, or Jack Webb might say, just the facts, ma'am. And uh, how are you going to lay the foundation for this business record? Or if it's the, uh, if it's the plaintiff and the business says, we've got these great uh, business records. Well, what do you have? Well, it's my it, it's my word. Oh, it's a he said, she said situation. But you don't have any documents, do you? No, I don't have any documents. Do you have any witnesses? No. And then, of course, uh, it's a it's a more straight uh, approach uh, with the attorney and with the client, whether it's the plaintiff or the defendant. And you're talking about what the case is worth. You're talking about whether or not there's attorney fees associated with this. And you're talking about uh, how it's going to be proven and whether it's going to a court trial or a jury trial or an arbitration. So it's a lot drier, but it's more matter of fact as well. We'll tell you, Michael, I've enjoyed this immensely. I hope you have as well. And I'm sure our, our audience will. Um, and I, I thank you for this conversation. Uh, we're, we're out of time. Um, uh, and as we wrap up, uh, where should people, uh, who should people contact in order to book you for a mediation or an arbitration? They should contact my case manager, Christy Wu, W-O-O, at 310-201-0100. And uh, she will gladly help you. Well, thank you. Um, thank you, Judge Michael Marcus. Uh, thank you, Daryl Wayne, engineer, uh, and... Uh, I'm Len Levy, and this is Masters of Dispute Resolution on PodClips.io, powered by Infogen Labs, Inc. Uh, and until we meet again, stay well, keep listening, and remember, peace of mind is enhanced when conflicts are resolved. If you wish to contact Len Levy, you can reach him through his email at lslevy at adrservices.com, through Len's website, lenlevymediate.com. Telephone him at 818-903-5562 or contact his case manager at ADR Services, 213-683-1600.